Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapol, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. This is our latest entry in The Decade Project. With the 2010s on the way out, we thought that this very recent history could use a kind of roadmap. So each installment of The Decade Project will look at key developments, pivotal movies, groundbreaking film artists, and so on. This week, we're looking at filmmakers, but specifically everyone but the director. We're as guilty as anyone of referring to movies in terms of their directors, So we wanted to look back and choose a few favorite cinematographers or editors or costume designers who were doing outstanding work in the 2010s. Joining me for this podcast are two programmers, Eric Hines, curator of the Museum of the Moving Image, and Ashley Clark, director, film programming at BAM. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. Uh, My name's Nicholas Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. This is another episode in The Decade Project, our series about, you guessed it, the decade, but not just any decade, the 2010s, the most recent of decades. And I think the basic idea is just, we wanted to give a sort of roadmap or just highlights from the from a decade that I don't think has really taken shape in any very clear way for, for a lot of us. It's, it's recent, it's fresh. I think, you know, maybe we have even a better idea of the 2000s, just sort of in a being stuck in some Lynchian post 911 <laughs> mess. Um, but 2010s, uh, I mean, even on the level of the world, we're all still figuring it out. Um, so, to uh, make some sense of all of this, I brought two programmers, not one but two, to help me muddle my way. Uh, hi, I'm Ashley Clark, uh, director of film programming at BAM and regular uh, contributor to Film Comment and pop up on this podcast and enjoy it always. And I'm Eric Hines. I'm curator of film at Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, New York, and I'm a columnist for Film Comment. Um, did I just a congratulations to Ash, who's recently ascended? <laughs> Not that makes it sound like I died. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> no, no, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, a higher plane, regardless. Higher yeah. plane. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So, communicating from uh, which makes this a very Ouija special board. podcast <laughs> taking place in the astral plane uh, as opposed to the usual um, secret location. Um, but enough of the good natured reading. Uh, we're, we're here to talk. Um, the topic for this podcast is everything but the director. Um, I, I, I want to talk about the cinematographers, the editors, the costume designers, the production designers. All the different people who are filmmakers um, who were important to us in some way in the past 10 years. Um, and some of them may be new faces. Some of them are people who have been working for a while, but uh, maybe really made their mark in the 2010s. Um, and this isn't some like anti auteurist thing, really, necessarily. Um, but I just think, you know, the shorthand of just saying some movie is so and so's movie, um, you know, usually causes people to gloss over. Um, uh, so I don't know where we want to begin, um, but uh, is, if, who wants to start? I mean, well, there was something on my mind actually, just yes. from your introduction, because uh-huh. you didn't mention uh, screenwriters. Oh, screenwriters! Right. And uh, I Those don't, guys. yeah, that, who are they? You know, but I've been interested with the recent uh, Irishman discourse, mm-hmm. capital D, um, and maybe perceiving some kind of resurgence in the, the author idea. But I've been really struck by the almost total absence of. Stephen's alien's name. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. the, it's, it almost feels like the film wrote, wrote itself. Not not in terms of my perception of it, mm-hmm. but just in terms of his sheer absence in discussion of right. it, which has been, I don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm hanging out, lurking in the wrong corners of Twitter, and there is a whole kind of <laughs> Zalian hive. <laughs> but I'm just interested in that. And, and yeah. maybe th- this decade has not been one where, obviously Charlie Kaufman has been making work, but there hasn't mm-hmm. p- possibly been a... Kaufman analog in terms mm. of the superstar writer of this decade. Right, right. Again, could be completely wrong. This just popped into my mind. But no, I go go. Well, ahead, in, in terms of the 
Zalian, I have heard, as there should be, talk about the structure of the film and how brilliant, brilliantly and uniquely it's structured. But even when I have, I've not heard his name being the primary uh, reference point for it. Um, it's a really, really, I mean, I, the, 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 the award season is long. We might get there, mm -hmm. um, but that's a, that's a great point. But in terms of the decade, no, I can't think of another either. I can't think of that superstar writer. Um, the ones that come to mind are writer directors, mm, you yeah. know, and that's a, that's not a new thing at all. You know, we've we've been living with that for a, for a long time. We've got the Paul Thomas Andersons. You've got your Noah Baumbachs. You know, these are people who who write their own work and are very very good writers. But no, yeah, yeah I, I, nothing, nothing comes to mind. I don't know, if, Nick. If yeah, I mean. I mean, I don't know. I mean, once in a while, someone will sort of break through in some way. Like I remember there being a lot of attention given to the uh, screenwriter of, I want to say, The Post. Um, Mark Bowl was Mark Bowl. That that, that came around Mark for Bowl, a bit. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely yeah. That's true. Um, I guess that is that is that that's an interesting case where it, he almost came to the fore because of controversies surrounding right. you know how he's adapting. Um, history, um, but I don't know. I'm sure we'll all think of something as soon as we switch off. But 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 I think the point stands regardless of who we think of. Yeah. is that it doesn't seem like it's been a decade um, for that conversation. Yeah, and and I think also generally there's not a great understanding of what screenwriters do or how screenplays work or are structured. That's that's another another thing. Um, so well, yeah, that's that is true. That is an absence. Um, so shall we start um, with cinematographers, maybe? Sure. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's some obvious names that are worth mentioning. Um, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, probably the cinematographer who made the greatest impression of the decade was Emmanuel Lubezki. Yeah. Um, f when I think that, and I mean, I, 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 if we're talking about a full decade, I could say that the decade started with absolute sort of enraptured responses to the work of Emmanuel Lubezki. Yeah. Um, nobody's working quite that way. Nobody was using Steadicam quite that way. Um, defined an entire sort of era of, of filmmaking for Terrence Malick. I mean, he'd been working, they'd been working the previous decade as well, but to have that kind of production, um, you know, four films in particular uh, in, in, in barely twice as many years, um, that made quite an impression. And then, of course, for Lubezki then to be picked up by other prominent filmmakers and in some ways being even more celebrated and being more rewarded for that work. I think it, for me at least, the decade ends with being a little weary of that work, being a little weary of like how that approach to cinematography, um, what it's become. It feels a little bit less fresh, um, as, it, as anything would be. But mm -hmm. if, if anything, I'm kind of craving for an incredibly gifted cinematographer like that to make a kind of a radical change in terms of how he does things. Doesn't have to, but that's that maybe that would that's how like the yeah. the Lubezki interest would would continue for me. I'm interested in that idea of um, act, we we know that actors and directors and writers slip into or are perceived to slip into mannerisms and mm -hmm. the shtick mm -hmm. the shtick can get a little bit tired. Yeah. But it's interesting to hear the idea that that can also apply to a cinematographer now as well, which is of course not to diminish the incredible talent or the work that Emmanuel Lubetsky has course. done. However, as you as you quite rightly point out, I think it, with with the Revenant, for example, yeah. you know, when he's not necessarily allied to a to a filmmaker that mm -hmm. amplifies his talents in the best way, you do start mm -hmm. to see some some repetition or, or a cert certain techniques that they begin to pull maybe. Well, he's being taken away from the context that kind of defined a certain approach and being asked in a sense to apply that elsewhere. And that mm. does lead to a sense of a shtick of, of this is the thing, this is the set of things that I do. Right. I mean, this is uh, sort of skipping ahead a little bit and we uh, I want to revisit sort of properly, but I, uh, we were doing a we've been doing a Terrence Malick retrospective at the museum, and we had um, one of his collaborators uh, around for the weekend, and he mentioned editing. He was an editor, Keith Fraze, editing material, um, and how they were as an editor, it was useful for them because they actually were dealing with material that was disparate. There was so there was so much of it over such a long period of time, mm -hmm. but that material was all captured with a certain set of rules that Malik had a certain set of rules for what that material would entail. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. um, that the camera, and in particular, the camera would always be moving. It would mm -hmm. be backlit as much as possible. You mm -hmm. know, um, that there's a sort of like a, a, a friskiness to it that it would be wide angle lenses. Uh -huh. These are things that, of course, yeah, like, right, that's what the sort of recent Terrence Malick looks like. Right. But that's also, so that's a set of rules established by a filmmaker and a cinematographer mm -hmm. for making a certain set of films. Yeah. To see those rules applied to other films by other filmmakers by the same technician, it starts, yeah, it, it gets wearisome. Yeah. I think what you're really trying to say is that you want to see a return to the Reality Bites era, Emmanuel <laughs> Lubetsky. That would be fascinating. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd kind of be into it. I love looking back through old, um, <laughs> just, you know, you the birdcage bird as well. One of my all-time favorites is um, Peter Deming, who obviously shot Mulholland Drive in mm -hmm. this incredible, oneric, yeah. terrifying way, but also did Hollywood Shuffle by Robert Townsend, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and yeah. they yeah. they make do their work and get their apprenticeships and yeah. learn yeah. their craft. And then it's interesting to, to find the idea of a cinematographer, perhaps through a particular artistic partnership, as you yes. say, with, with Malik, yes. mm -hmm. really minting, finding their style. And you wonder, right. you know, uh, elevating to a level of authorship that, mm -hmm. that is perhaps not discussed as much as writer-director or even... Right. Right. Uh, De Niro and Scorsese, you know, the, the actor-director partnership. Sure. The cinematographer-director um, right. partnership is really, uh, it's not a new thing, of course. I mean, there yeah. are many historical precedents, but Malik and um, Lubetsky and, and uh, Iñárritu and Lubetsky, they're, they're mm -hmm. really spoken of as, mm -hmm. as real, genuine partnerships, which yeah. is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's, he's an interesting one just because also he's like this kind of self-conscious, you know, big gun, you know, in a way, he, you know, and he, he could just become idolized also by other cinematographers, I think, to, to a certain extent. And that's, that's kind of a throwback to like, you know, Gordon Willis, just people who are, have some sort of signature thing they do. And maybe it doesn't even lack, because one interesting thing about him is how it was a number of years where he really worked at his peak. And then, um, and, and, and I'm, right. so I'm not even sure with Emmanuel Lubetsky, how, how long that, that'll, continue i mean his instagram is fantastic <laughs> he also has a nickname chivo which i think is what in two called him up on stage it was yeah. uh, jessica chastain i think when giving away an, uh, an oscar just to shout out shout out chivo like maradona <laughs> and uh, you know that's right there is a cinematographer kind of, as cult yeah, heroes yeah, yeah it's it's an interesting thing which and and, and uh, there's nothing I, I don't have a lot to back this up right now in terms of names but as we make our way to other dps i think we should one thing that doesn't, as writers, it's actually, it's too clunky, it's impossible to do this justice, but it's worth mentioning that the teams of people that work on these films and the teams of people that work on some amazing films that don't get recognized. Right. So I could say like uh, Lubezki's uh, uh, Steadicam work, there are some films where he's carrying a Steadicam, a lot of the time he is not. You know, right. that there was somebody else who's actually captured a lot of that footage. Yes to specification, yes to direction. But right. when you're dealing with things like that, when you're dealing with that kind of footage, there is somebody's hands, somebody's hand and body is on that machine, and that's a hugely right. important part of it. Yeah, and I mean, as we proceed in this podcast to lord certain individuals, you know, it's worth underlining. <laughs> yeah. we, we do fully understand that film is a collaborative process. Yeah, yeah exactly. The temptation is sometimes to slip into that hero worship it's easier to write about yes in the singular yeah it's like a short um, but shorthand. it should be animating all of our discussions that the understanding yeah. that everything we do is collaborative yes it absolutely. takes it takes a village to make chivo <laughs> i mean who can who can argue with that <laughs> let's take a moment <laughs> take um, a breath take a breath um well one thing that comes to mind talking about um chivo is that um just to kind of extrapolate what he what he stands for in a way and what what he what he means just in the sense of the type of camera work which is this kind of I'll kind of say it kind of you know virtuoso or bravura kind of very mobile um kind of camera work where you, and especially motion of a sort you didn't think was possible you know like the kind of thing where where the, the movie becomes a feat and like every other scene is somehow a feat but but definitely this sense of mobility which I think really marks I don't know, the 2010s, maybe it happened a lot in the 2000s, but um, of, you know, uh, I don't know how you would trace it. You know, is it, are, are we seeing people who saw the possibilities of like more mobile handheld digital um, in, in 2000s, but thought, I just want this to look better, but I still want to be just as mobile. And that's kind of almost how you get what the Beskis does in a way. Um, and I have one other thing I want to say on, but Ash, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's kind of a boring answer, but I, I find these things almost to be case by case when it comes to the, 
the efficacy and the, the beauty of a tracking shot. It's really allied to the particular content. Sure. And I think to go back to what Eric was saying, sometimes the 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 excess of mobility and these graceful movements can become enervating when they're not um, stapled to, to content that, that resounds and amplifies with it. Yeah. There's a showiness to it. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. often that that showiness is what is plucked out from other film by other filmmakers. Right. You know, I think of um Twitter aflame with the true detective tracking shot. And a lot of these aesthetics have made their way into, again, I don't say this in a pejorative sense because I like to watch Netflix as much as the next guy and mm-hmm. HBO, but mm-hmm. a lot of prestige television have taken some of the, the showier aspects mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. of of this kind of mobility and fluidity. And, yeah. oh, it's a 27-minute tracking shot. And it's like, well, but, you know, does this mm-hmm. correspond with and amplify yeah. the meat of the film? Or are you just merely... Yeah. indulging in a technical exercise and some people are into technical exercises yeah. 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 but it's worth I guess worth pointing out and furthermore the other relationship that we haven't mentioned that a cinematographer has is with an actor and mm-hmm. there is a, an older tradition of of where, where cinematography is all about lighting right mm-hmm. where it's light, it's lighting <laughs> <laughs> it's lighting a face it's and it's and it's right. actors having their own kind of lighting vocabulary that they bring with them and then that becomes a a, a negotiation with a cinematographer yeah. um, that still exists in some degree, but it speaks to the idea that I mean, it, to, to underscore what you're saying, it's even it, it really ought to be even more responsive to the needs of that shot and that moment and that actor and yeah. and that director rather than here is a signature that I'm bringing to a room. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely true, and 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 some that's sometimes in some ways like the the first thing to go when you're doing something really mobile because you just want the whole area lit so that no matter exactly. where the, the person and you are moving, um, and um, I I I mean another name that I mean you know other names come to mind in terms of this mobility. I mean I think cinematographers who have worked with um, Olivia Olivia Asaya, you know, he's mm-hmm. definitely a person who's kind of prioritized a, a particular almost snaky fluidity, which maybe has sort of receded a little from his movies. In the last the, couple of films, in yeah. The last couple so. of films. Um, but yeah, no, but, but I mean, Carlos is probably the, the apex of that yes, in some ways. which opened the decade, I guess. I think it was, I think that was our number one in 2010. Um, and, but, but, you know, and then, I mean, another another cinematographer um, who works with Darren Aronofsky, um, Matty Labatique, um, um, he's a guy who... I've actually seen some pretty bad movies that he shot and you can still see his, I, I saw one that was about, I want to say Pele or something. And you know, the movie was really hard, pretty hard to watch, but there would be these scenes that just suddenly would come alive with something he'd, he'd figured out about how to stage something. Um, I remember that. Do you remember? It was called like Pele birth of a legend. or something. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> it may or may not have been called that. How's that for <laughs> journalism? Well, you can't, you can't beat a film with a good colon in it. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the heat, you know, that's in Mark one. I don't know. Mother is, is another mother. Example. <laughs> Thank you for correctly pronouncing well, it. Well, pronounced. well pronounced. <laughs> Again, um, due diligence. But that actually brings me, um, we don't have to talk too much about this, but I think another huge thing, um, I, we'll, we'll come back to cinematographers and actors. But Cause, oh, cause we, Can, I, can yeah, I, yeah. I just wanted to, you know, you yeah. mentioned lighting faces yes, and yeah, the uh-huh. cinematographer mm-hmm. that I absolutely wanted to make sure we discussed was Bradford Young. Oh, yes. Um, who was, mm-hmm. in a way, like... Like um, Lubetsky, but perhaps starting at a, a later point, has has coincided with it's the decade. The decade. Yeah. I mean, he was make, he was making work in the late two thousands, but really working with D. Rees, with mm-hmm. um, Pariah, mm-hmm. and Andrew Dasunmu with Restless City and yeah. Mother of George, mm-hmm. um, figuring out these just incredible ways to shoot black skin to shoot into light black skin mm-hmm. um, in a way that's so moving and so textured yeah. and realize and makes you realize what you haven't seen mm-hmm. um leading up to that point um he studied under Haile Garima at Howard oh. and I think you see a lot of inspiration from the um LA Rebellion mm-hmm. um, school of filmmaking that's very very tactile very mm-hmm. poetic mm-hmm. very graceful um, and he's gone on to build um, a really really impressive career oh yeah um, mm-hmm. working with some fantastic filmmakers um, shooting uh, Selma um, Ain't Them Body Saints yeah, with yeah. Um, David Lowry um, and he became the first African-American cinematographer to get an Oscar nomination for oh. Arrival 
which is a film I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not the quickest on the uptake with plots sometimes, but it ended in, I mean, it had one of those moments. This is a, a slight detour where I watched it and something happened and a few people in the audience gasped and I had literally no idea what had happened. But thanks to the talents of Bradford Young, yeah. It didn't I, matter. I, I was it. just absorbed in the film anyway. Yeah. I was, yeah. I think it was Forrest Whitaker, another wonderful Forrest Whitaker yeah. accent. I can't remember where he was from <laughs> in this one. <laughs> I don't know if he was from North London, as in the crying game. Well, um, but uh, yeah, and, and Bradford Young is, is incredible. Well, um, and I just wanted to make sure we yeah. mentioned Well, that. And one thing I just yeah. want to say about that in terms of really him making an impression, his, his, his strongest impression in a young career in the very beginning of this decade. And the distance between those films, um, Pariah, Middle of Nowhere, and Selma is just a few years. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I've ever seen that where somebody that young in a career who, would, again, was a name, people were recognizing what he was doing, and then shows up in a film of that high profile and does work that kind of everybody I ever spoke to about that film talked about the way it was shot, yeah. talked about the way it looked. That's that's a meteor it's meteoric like yeah. to go from in about four or five years to somebody who is kind of already at the top of his game yeah it's extraordinary and uh if for anyone who hasn't seen um some of those early films i would just recommend yeah. mother of george oh God, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. if it's ever yeah. on anywhere Unreal. near you just run yeah. <laughs> run don't walk the, the yeah. extraordinary um sh you know the, the depth of field um yeah. the, the close-ups the colors mm -hmm. what he's doing just seems yeah it's something spiritual about it, yeah. Um, and it, it, he he really is um, someone I look out for. I you know I would I would go and see a film purely on right. the knowledge that, that Bradford Young had shot it, and I can't wait to see and, and, where and he goes on, who he works with next. I so agree with that, and feel the same way that I'm going to look past Solo, a Star Wars story, as much as I possibly can. I I looked past it to the extent that I'd forgotten all about it. <laughs> see, that's, I didn't that's know the best thing to do. That, but I mean, again, it's a payday, yeah. you know, and, and it's yeah. <laughs> but but I do think that there's an element here of what we were talking about with Lubezki there, which made me a little bit nervous. And I'm sure that we're going to see great work. But it felt a little bit like, oh, we like what you do when things are really dark. So mm. we're going to make a Star Wars movie that's going to be super dark, but we know that you're going to make it look great. And he does. Right. But it also feels a little bit like, oh, that's those are that this this is your this is in your toolbox. Bring that to set. And the other thing, right. these, these projects you can imagine are probably so all-encompassing right. that they would be potentially be quite draining and yeah. you know leaving room for yeah. for other projects. But what a so. different job it is. I mean, it's incredible when you think about it. the the job that yeah. it was required of him to shoot something like Pariah and the job that's required of Solo, a Star Wars story. It's astonishing. And also, like, yeah. I, there's no way that I could relate to that level of craft and talent to be able to go from one person in a camera to running a team like that. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, this is, yeah, it seems simplistic, but it's that sort of versatility that I'm, I'm is, is often most impressive for me. Um, but uh, talking about the, the variety of work and the range of work he's done, um, it also reminds me of another thing that I think maybe crops up with some, some cinematographers and, but, but the decade generally is the use, the incorporation and use of, of CGI uh, in the sense of like digital composite work, um, right. which definitely is a skill to itself, how much you can, you can work with that. And I think we actually, um, in a piece that uh, Violet Luca wrote about um, the use of CGI, I believe she spoke to Bradford Young for that piece and, okay. and how he works with it. And that was, it's a very interesting read um, to, uh, to hear about that. But it, that's also become a fact of it, and I think an under-acknowledged oh, yeah. fact in the crowd because it's somehow still stuck in the in the discourse of like you know it's it's something fake about it and 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 it's something it's not real it's not the real craft but it's part and parcel like it's, you cannot do it anything anymore without it. Well, if Sonic the Hedgehog gate hasn't convinced you, <laughs> that's, that's, nothing that's, will. It's true. <laughs> Thank you, Sonic. Um, but yeah, I mean, like uh, arrival would be one thing. I mean, figuring out how the the shadows of of the you know extra extraterrestrial beings, which yeah, even though it, in a way it's like a kind of hokey science fiction encounter thing, I I understand what you mean by it being almost like a spiritual thing. That that whole um, that whole moment of finding a new way to stage the encounter to stage mm -hmm. some sort of connection, um, that's just amazing. And he, there he must be collaborating with all sorts of. Of folks, um, <clears throat> but even the movie that you wouldn't think of, something like *The Immigrant*, right. um, um, Darius um, Kanji um, working on that. Same thing, like you know, it's a lot of digital composite work to you know build backgrounds that aren't there. Not even just because 
they don't exist, but because it's just easier to film them. I remember talking to him about that one and, you know, like when they're in Ellis Island, like the lighting feat of, of being able to show the inside of, of like a, um, you know, this, I don't know what to call it, architectural, like a cupola or something. They, you know, they have to shoot one half of it. They can't actually light both hats at the mm-hmm. same time. And then they just copy it. And it requires a whole other thing of like timed camera moves and, and all this coordination. Again, like this variety of skills that we don't even always know about. And also how they integrate. I mean, I think, it, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, it was yourself, Nick, in conversation with uh, Aronofsky about mother. Um, <laughs> and um, I think the special effects, the VFX budget was bigger than that of Noah okay. to make it look like it was one shot. Right. Or yeah. I think I, that it could be wrong again. That but sounds it, right. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a huge um, VFX budget mm-hmm. to, to give that impression. So I just yeah. wonder how a cinematographer right. yeah. actually fits into that sure. um, narrative. Yeah, yeah. And and how, and wh- to what extent they're consulted. Yeah. Or what point it just disappears into the edit. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, right. just from, from the fewer examples I, I know of, I think they are part of it in these, in these. They, they have to be. And it, it you know, Mike, the question I always want to ask them is like, is this now more like painting for you? You know, mm-hmm. like in a way, because right. you're working with the image in a different way um, and, and working on, you're sitting next to a guy at a computer or something, you know, in some ways. Um, but I just wanted to throw that one out because I do think that, you know, it's not the first time these sort of digital, you know, manipulation is going on. But I, I do think there was something about the 2010s where that was happening and accepted and, and I don't know, it became even more of an art form and in different arenas than, than it had um, mm-hmm. had before, I think. But I don't want to get sidetracked on that because I, I am intrigued about the actor, cinematographer, or anything else that comes to mind. Well, I mean, somewhat. I mean, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about the cinematographers that have made an impression of the last decade that um, work alone, that often, or at least a lot of the time, and I'm thinking more about independent films um, and how inevitably it is more of a one-to-one relationship between hmm. a DP and a performer. Um, and I guess Sean Price Williams comes yeah. to mind. Um, mm. Another, yes, he was making films. I, I, I wonder if he's actually similar age as Bradford Young. Um, but how they were they were both shooting things at the end of the last decade, but really kind of came, I think I actually think he shot Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo, the Jessica Oric film, oh. 2009. Mm-hmm. And that's probably when people first started noticing some of his work. But then, I mean, just I mean, I don't think anybody's been more productive than him, and worked both in American narrative independent as well as documentary film. Yeah. Um, but you think about some of his work, and yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think that there's a relationship there between him and Elizabeth Moss in the last several mm-hmm. uh, Alex Ross Perry films, uh, and that's an intimacy, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in Listen Up, Philip, where she has a small role. That, shot of the film is a shot that's just of Elizabeth Moss's face over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, there's, 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 yeah, there is, there is some kind of relationship that can happen, but not to, not to talk exclusively about his work in terms of, of that question. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I do think that there is, um, there is a responsiveness to the space and responsiveness to the room and paying attention to what's supposed to happen in that scene or in that shot mm-hmm. that he's pretty extraordinary with. And I'd also like to shout out uh, Ashley Connor oh, God, as yeah. well, mm-hmm. who is someone who's been um, coming to prominence in the last few years. Mm-hmm. That's sounding like D- Donald Trump on Frederick Douglass there, getting known more and more. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, 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 <laughs> but in particular, her work uh, with, with um, Josephine Decker, right. um, and specifically to the point about working with actors, mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. with uh, Helena Howard and Miranda July in yep. that film, which is essentially yeah. this kind of dance dance film, mm-hmm. this head, yeah. head trip, headspace, and yeah. it all feels in concert. And it's the, the fluidity of the images in concert with the film yeah. is really, really remarkable. And I think yeah. she, she's fantastic. And she has, yeah. and, and she's been on here. Nick, you and I talked about that. And uh, she talked about dance. She talked about that kind of, right, that yeah. very thing about dancing with the actor. But yeah. with a giant heavy camera yeah. on you know, yeah, yeah. shoulder. So there's a, there's a physicality yeah. to, to the, the art of cinematography Indeed. that should be yeah. noted as well. You yeah. know, it's not just going around a party with a camcorder or your phone, <laughs> you know, this right. is, it's real yeah. physical labor. Yeah. And, and to that, which makes the, the balletic qualities of these films and mm-hmm. Josephine's earlier films like butter on the latch. And mm-hmm. what was the other one? Thou, thou wast mild and that, lovely. That was mild and lovely. Yeah. 
um, amazing work. And yeah. I, again, look forward to just whatever actually Connor does next. Yeah, yeah even even the uh, the kind of one off comic short that she she shot what was it? it has a very um odd name it's like it's it's just an absurdist like 10 15 minute short mm. do you know what i'm talking about no it's like half of it's like there's one whole sequence that's like in this strange pink everyone's in like fur realm i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i wish i could remember what this is but it's yeah it's it's just like going wild and i don't know i don't, I don't think it's quite entertaining um the Sean Price Williams, I yeah, I, I just want to mention because I don't know when else I'll share the factoid, but it is also cool. I mean, I in a way learned about a lot of film from him very directly because he used to work at Kim's Video um, and at uh, and St. Mark's, so I would often rent movies from him. So it is completely a you know a kind of absurd <laughs> to then just see him be making these amazing um, movies. Um, Shout out also to Good Time. Just that the work there is pretty. It's the variety yeah. of work there. Yeah, well, and also the absolutely like just mondo lighting in, in yeah. that film. Like yeah. just from it's, none of it makes any sense in all the best possible way. Like yeah. all the sort of light sources that are sort of show up in one in any particular frame. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan, plus Rossellini's history films, streaming Adam Sandler, composer Fatima Al-Qadiri on Atlantics, and much more. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Something about editing is appealing, just because it's 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 less, um, at least as, as it actually works, is it's kind of less in your face. Um, yeah, you know. And we talked about how a lot of people you, you don't did. know what a screenwriter does and how that functions. Oh, editing, sure. editing even more so. Yeah. As evidenced by you know, editing usually goes to um, prizes go to the most editing. That's um, right. <laughs> like where where have we where are we aware of cuts? Where are we aware of? of uh, decisions being made when, of course, decisions are being made all the time, regardless. I'm thinking of the uh, Taken clip where Liam Neeson jumps over a fence mm -hmm. and there's like 23 cuts <laughs> <laughs> just to cover him hulking himself <laughs> over this wooden object. <laughs> that wins all my Oscars. <laughs> so it's a cubist kind of view um but that but that is that is another that is an interesting thing in terms of, yeah that kind of kaleidoscopic uh kaleidoscopic um cutting which is the sort of thing that like somehow was almost going to raise you know tony scott to the level of of you know some sort of right vulgar vulgar auteur i remember that term right. yeah that's that was that was this decade <laughs> that's just grimaced I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna start from where we often get to at the end yes. uh, on this conversation and say that i mean i think that the, the the most unsung of all technicians, I think, considering what their contribution is to a finished film, is a documentary editor, mm -hmm. um, oh, where yeah. documentaries just simply don't function without a, like a, 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 the real strong and creative hand of an editor. And they're basically the screenwriters of documentary, um, except they're dealing with pre-existing uh, footage yeah. rather than authoring footage or authoring what should be shot. Um, and, and, and I, so, but I want to sort of like start with that just because I think that that's, that's always a glaring omission this time of year that we're not mm. talking about documentary editors. That's true. I mean, not that I particularly care about like award recognition, but I am curious how many of the editing nominations have gone to documentary editors. Once, I believe. Really? I think there have been, there's one. I think, uh, I think Hoop Dreams was uh, an um, editing nominee and I think that might be it. So that's which is so the of... idea that an editor who works in documentary has just as much access to that kind of recognition. Right. It just simply never, ever, ever, ever happens. Yeah. And then when it does, in places like Cinema Eye Honors, the documentary you know yeah. awards program, yeah. almost all of the time the nominees are archival editors because again, right. you know that that's been edited because it right. hasn't been shot. So let's give it to an editor, yeah. which again disregards all the work that goes into shaping a narrative or putting a you know. You know yeah. giving shape to footage that's been shot over periods of time. Yeah. So I guess a couple names that come to mind for the decade, I think Nels Bangerder um, sure. has been phenomenal. He was on my list as well. Yeah. With, um, this, I mean, there's, he's been making camera numerous person. films. But Camera Person, uh, Let the Fire Burn, Let the Fire Burn, and The Hottest August. 
are three that I would put up there with anyone's. Um, and those, that's not exclusive to that. He's been a working editor for a while. But the work on those three particular films is extraordinary. I think Let the Fire Burn really stuck in my mind mm-hmm. um, in terms of, I think another kind of interesting development in this decade has been that of the the, the all archival film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think of um, Asif Kapadia's editor, Chris King, uh-huh. on mm. Senna, Amy, yeah. Maradona, the recent Maradona film, second Maradona name check for this podcast, um, <laughs> shaping that pre-existing material yeah. into a, such a compelling narrative. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the judiciousness of that um, is an art form that I would love to kind of maybe write about one day or read, read more about. But, right. yeah. right. but with Let the Fire Burn, that, that, I, that was what, 2013? Yeah, it was welcome. I'm not sure I'd ever seen anything quite like that before mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the way that it yeah. structured um, pu- publicly available like court mati- court footage, yeah, um, news footage, and turned it into something that it was. I, I don't. I haven't really got the words, which is not helpful yeah. on a podcast. I'm an um, enormous fan of that that film, and and actually, I've I've always been a little baffled how it seemed to have dropped out of view after mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it did, obviously didn't have like the hugest release, but. It's a masterpiece. I like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, yeah, this is a film about the, the government um, drop, essentially dropping a bomb <laughs> on the headquarters of an activist group move in mm-hmm. Philadelphia mm-hmm. in 1985, mm-hmm. and the film essentially constructs in an extremely sensitive way, yeah. um, essentially the the lead up to and aftermath of it, and it's one of the most disquieting films I can remember. And mm-hmm. there was such sensitivity and thought in the way that it was edited. I should mention the director's name, Jason Osder, as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's has flown under the radar a little bit. Yeah, um, to the extent that I've forgotten to put it in a couple of <laughs> lists that I've been asked to submit. Uh, oh, right. um, <laughs> but yeah, let the fire burn. Yeah. See it if you haven't. It's wonderful. Well, and and yeah. and in both of those, that that film and Camera Person were both. Um, laborious f- uh, films in the, in the production side that had been around for a little bit of while, mm-hmm. and you know, not only did Nels make something, be- and his, not only was his editing essential, and but he actually, on, on a creative sense, he actually really kind of steered things in a different direction into the thing that they became. And both filmmakers have credited him for that. Um, that's a lot of trust to put in a collaborator. Yeah. Um, so no, I mean, and then just just quickly another couple names that come to mind in terms of that terrain are. Aaron Casper um, worked with Laura Poitras, um, among others. Uh, David Teague, um, uh, our some of our friend Robert Green. Um, mm-hmm. I think his work on his own films is pretty unique and distinct, and also works in narrative with uh, Alex Ross Perry. Um, and there and there are many many more, but yeah. um, I, I do think that that is it, it, there's never enough room or air in the room given to. Uh, to that kind of work yeah I, I agree and um it might feel like i'm contractually obligated to to mention his name on any given podcast i do but i have to say that frederick wiseman also is is an incredible um editor and maybe an maybe a documentary analog to the writer's screen writer sure. director sure sure is is wiseman as as yeah. um editor director um i remember having and sound man and Sandman, yeah, one, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, I once asked him what like hand hand signals he used, like to to, to gesture to his cameraman. He he didn't reveal them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a withering glance is what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I remember talking to I'm gonna forget who it was, but like a, a moment programmer, and uh, when I was writing about the the big retrospective they had, I, I don't know, a long time ago, and basically we just came upon the fact that he's he, he well this programmer called him the best living editor just flat yeah, out yeah, yeah. Um, um because of the special challenge of shaping um these little one acts two acts three acts that he's able to do um from the footage you happen to get on the day um and also condensing the you know tens sometimes you know upwards of 100 hours that he does um it's a kind of editing that is i, I feel virtuosic because it's it's on a scene level, the, the compression involved um, and the dramatic control, um, while also, you know, that particular element of reserve that he has that can make it a little um, analytic or an- anonymous. Um, but then on the macro level, he's also working oh, yeah. on, on a synthetic level. Um, this kind of invisible hand he has, um, I've just found it totally fascinating, you know, um, how much he's able to convey, but also make 
wide swaths of audience not always realize what he's doing like on, on the macro level it, it's a strange i don't even know because well, because yeah. people talk about him, him as, as making long movies as if he's not editing them yeah. yes and, and that's just it could not be more wrong and the three of us are all writers as well and i think we're, we're all painfully aware of the difference between an authentic long read yes and just writing lots of stuff <laughs> yeah just you know <laughs> yeah we've all probably written and received as editors yes. work that is <laughs> twice as long as it needs to be. You right. know, ultimately, a 60-minute film could be twice as long as it needs to be. It's sure. not about the discrete length of a film. Right, right. It's about how it justifies mm -hmm. that length and how it develops its yeah. its flow. And yeah. I, I, just to go back to that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the very first thing you said in this in this segment was about... Um, most editing is what seems to be lauded, you know, mm -hmm. evidence of like someone running around with a pair of scissors, you right. know, when in fact it really is more about right. <laughs> rhythms and shape. And often that is invisible work. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's very subtle. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I just, since we're talking about Wiseman, we're talking about it in this way. Um, and the, the, the subtler edits, which, which sometimes can come into play with a, with a longer form piece. Um, uh, I mean, years ago, I wrote a piece about Wiseman and Thelma Schoonmaker mm. on this very question of editing a longer film because there's a sort of sense, there's a, the, the, the assumption is that it's been less edited because mm -hmm. it is long. But how much work it takes to actually follow a rhythm, to actually give a, I don't even say it as a macro level, to be working on these sort of larger movements when you're working with so much material, so much more material than you might if it was a 90-minute film. Right. Do you remember this year before the New York Film Festival, The Irishman uh, was announced to have a 210-minute running right. time? Yeah. And then there was a lot of conjecture as to what was really going to be, because it said TBC. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then it came back and it was 209. <laughs> It's so good. I enjoyed that. It's so good. But but there there was a bunch of kind of unfortunate, uh, you know, um, ignorant noise about oh, like he at this point in his career, all of his films are too long. He's too you long. Like he Dickie Greenleaf's dad from Talented Mr. Ripley. It's just noise. <laughs> In insolent noise. <laughs> Sorry. I'll accept it. Um, no, accept but. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you know, as if like this is like an, an act of indulgence. We're at a point now where somebody like Scorsese is indulgent, and he, as if he, and you hear like it's like it's like he doesn't even have an editor. As if like Thelma Schoonmaker, one of the great editors of all time, is just sitting there in the room, yeah. and has been such an incredibly vital collaborator on this decade of Scorsese's work, which is as good as any decade he's ever been working with. I really yeah. believe that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, a lot of these yeah. are on the longer side. They're also exquisitely edited. Yeah. And these criticisms often coming from people who will like literally sit for fourteen hours and like of binge, binge right. something on one day, <laughs> but can't sit for two and a half. Yeah, in, you know, in the space of one film and follow they, it. they could really watch they could watch eight hours yeah. of Two and a Half Men, but they won't watch. <laughs> in fact, they have. sixteen and a half. No, the mass is off. <laughs> Please cut that. <laughs> no, I'm keeping it all in. This is all going. <laughs> There's gonna be also gonna be a bloopers reel at the oh, end, just yeah. so you know. Be longer than um, the real thing. Um, I mean, that almost brings up a whole whole other um, whole other subject, which is the influence of television on on films and the influence of just that sort of like binge phenomenon or larger canvas on the sort of decisions pe like filmmakers are making and editors are making. But mm -hmm. maybe that's another episode we can do. Um, that, um, yeah. So any 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 other. Um, Editors. I guess we we've been talking mostly about documentary editors, but um, I mean, I, I still have to say that, for example, like uh, Michael Cohen on um, Lincoln, which is which is a movie about political process that almost shouldn't work. <laughs> you know, the fact that it's able to, to it's able to tack between um, this 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 you know um, what's the right word like centripetal kind of process of uh, and and like pixelated process of like the democratic process of gathering votes and these intensely like inward, uh, you know, um, introspective scenes um, and that occur in almost an expressionistic realm of like Lincoln and, and, and his, and his wife. Um, and so that's, that's just a remarkable thing for, for me. Um, so there, that's the, just, that's just to say there are a lot of partnerships that, um, um, you know, continue as well. And, um, and then they're also filmmaker, they're actually like editors from prior decades that I, 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 I feel like their work has, keeps filtering down um 
I've actually been thinking a lot about the limey lately, um, and Sarah Flack's work on that, um, just kind of reviving a Renier like um, you know deconstruction. Ash has a <laughs> mischievous look. <laughs> I really want to do it. Do it. Always. Do it. Tell him I'm coming. Tell him I'm fucking coming. <laughs> Sorry. I had to do it. <laughs> I had to do it to him. <laughs> that was uncanny. Amazing um, film. Yes. And I watched it not too long ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Thinking of, <laughs> of, of actually Bill Duke's work as, as an actor. Oh, yes. I've forgotten he oh, please. pops up in it. But... Yeah. Um, yeah. That's another quote that I also love, which is, there's one thing I don't understand. The thing I don't understand is every fucking thing you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every fucking word you're saying. It's just so confident. The way, the, 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 that elliptical structure, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel showy. You know, we've yeah. often yeah. spoken yeah, yeah, of that, yeah. that show. I think post Pulp Fiction, yeah. there was a lot of extravagantly showy, mm -hmm. chronological yes. mm -hmm. um, yeah. machination, Tom, Tom machinations, tomfoolery. But, <laughs> but the limey just has this, such a, this amazing organic um, yeah. flow to it. And, it. and it does what I love. It throws you in and it says, right, yeah. we're going to just do what we're doing. You can catch up. Yeah. If you concentrate, you'll understand the film. Yes. <laughs> and that does, that is so down to Sarah Fleck's work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which brings to mind also, we, we won't get back into it, uh, but Ed Lockman shot that. And his his way of rendering time and the past is, is another thing that kind of hangs over at the 2010s, I think, in that movie. But also now in, in the 2010s, obviously, his work with Todd Haynes. Um, right. So and that's yeah, a, a lot of stuff that he does with capturing the past and and and, and inhabiting it and um, making it vivid, but also still foreign. Um, is I think a lot of stuff that a lot of filmmakers wish they could do. Um, but anyway, um, jumping back, um, Eric, you were about to talk about something. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, I was thinking about what you were talking about, the big topic about the influence of TV and episodic, oh, whatever, yeah. uh -huh. um, which is not really the, the point of what I'm about to say, but made me think of Boyhood. I mean, think of uh, Sandra oh, God, Adair's yeah. work on Boyhood, who also, she's um, edited think all three of the before films uh maybe just the last two yeah um and yeah the sort of the the there there was a there's a sequence there's a sense of using of of time kind of like there's there's a new way of thinking about time especially in in boyhood because you're yeah. capturing footage over periods of time and there's nothing mechanical about it there's yeah. nothing like this is exactly how long we're going to spend in each year it's a real surprise of where we're going to come in and yeah. come out there's no yeah. big kind of ostentatious match cuts no like often the only yeah. time you'll notice that period of time has has transitioned is you'll have slightly longer hair <laughs> or a little right, bit yeah, of a tash yeah, going yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't it doesn't herald that, and it yeah, really yeah. You, you feel so absorbed in it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I I I, didn't, I I will never say that's a movie that's um, over overlooked, but still, we could still be talking about Boyhood. <laughs> I think maybe the the achievement of it, yeah, is kind of overlooked. I, I think agree. I think I think it got swallowed up into um, an understandable but slightly pernicious side of. Again, capital D discourse. Mm. Yeah, um, uh -huh. I, I don't think its title helped it. You mm, know, right. its kind of pretensions to universality right. title, and I'm not surprised mm. that it caught some flack um, mm. at a moment when representation is a genuine, mm. um, a real thing that people are talking about, and yeah. specifically who's who's not represented on yeah. screen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people genuinely would were not necessarily engaged in this mm -hmm. little white kid's life sure but i think um i, I love the film and i think mm -hmm. that the the technical qualities of it again to not not to suddenly go all spiritualist again but the soulful mm -hmm. qualities of the film yeah. allied to its technical um achievements made it really special and i don't yeah. think it's necessarily been um Th that side of the film, I don't think, has quite been um, amplified enough, right. yeah. necessarily. No, I agree. And I think for for the project that it is, the fat, one of the things I love about it is also something that I think means that there's a certain sector that's not going to uh, attach themselves to it, is that it is actually not that formalist. It right. is not consistent in what its scheme is, what its rules are. And I love that aspect of it because it feels alive. It feels organic. It feels like it's a film that's becoming itself over the course of of, of that that many years, twelve years, whatever. Um, but 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 I think that it, in some ways it gets overlooked because it is not a formalist project. It's not adhering to a certain plan. Agreed. And you couldn't think of a more unassuming director to have carried it off. 
you know, if it was Tarantino, you wouldn't hear the end of it. <laughs> you know, uh, if it was another yeah. director who had a bigger public profile or right. a more kind of auteurist mm -hmm. um, sheen. And there would have been those match cuts. Oh, yeah. And people would have gone, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is just amazing. Right. Yeah. When, when I think the opposite is the case here. And yeah. It works beautifully. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not sure where this would be. Uh, I'm sorry if I keep on like changing course or uh, right away. Oh, go for it. But um, another thing that came to mind just because we're talking about movies that got releases for one thing, um, I wonder if they're, you know, um, that, that brings to mind, you know, let's, let's just say the more kind of festival friendly or, you know, art, art uh, you know, art, arty side, you know, of, of, of long take cinema, um, which I think continued in a certain way in the 2010s. Um, and, and then the kind of over the shoulder follow, follow the person kind of Darden type thing. And I'm curious how for each of you, those have like percolated through, um, you know, film, film styles and, and, you know, those, how those technicians are, are, are working. Cause, uh, I don't know that's a bit of a broad question, but, um, I, I mean, because I was having a conversation with, um, with a colleague, um, whether that sort of hands-off quality, you know, that it can feel of, of just watching something unfold, like an Alessandro Alonso movie where, you know, you're watching someone hack through the underbrush for a while, or you're, you're watching even Viggo Mortensen, you know, walking into the back <laughs> of the, you know, Argentine, um, have, I feel like this decade there were sort of reactions to that even, and I, I don't know how widespread they were, um, but, you know, movies like, and again, I want to give credit to um, um, Manola in, in, in her recent review of Waves. I think maybe possibly <laughs> that we can also talk like Safety Brothers, like Uncut Gems. These are movies, it's not necessarily that they're responding to what's going on there, but they're mobilizing their teams in different ways. Um, than Alessandro Alonso is. Sorry, I just sort of threw out an entire like undigested thesis that within these 10 years, you maybe had this kind of counter reaction that was going to, to things that then kind of, I don't know, got got out of, got to new places and, and brought came to new people in a way, you know? I mean, I don't know. Thoughts? <laughs> I could talk about Hype Williams' belly. Oh please, yeah. I mean, that's also an, that's as, a, as a as an unheralded influence. I mean, yeah, that that kind of no. strays from the the meat of our of our topic today, but no, but absolutely, uh, yeah. you know, as someone who is a a one time feature filmmaker, but is also uh, an incredible technician, and as someone whose influences has really bled into the decade in terms of things like Harmony Kareen's yeah. Spring Breakers and and the Safdie's work in mm -hmm. terms of that that lighting and that. Um, dreamlike space. There's a shot in good time, you know what I'm yeah. talking about, which is yeah, which which is stunning. Um, and and that so maybe that kind of hybridity of mm, yeah. of, of Hype Williams aesthetic yeah. bleeding into certain art house spaces and creating something quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe. Um, yeah, I know Eric. Are we gonna? I'm, I'm I'm it's a it's a big topic, and yeah. there are, there. I mean, I don't have anything prepared on it, and I don't know. I mean, I guess I will say. Uh, this is a really general thing to say, and I don't think it's going to be very useful. Um, but the way that the decade ended with us talking a little bit skeptically about the current moment of, say, Lubezki-type cinematography, mm -hmm. I have a similar feeling about long-take cinema right now, where um, what used to be surprising, um, which is, I don't know where this cut's going to fall, and I don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen in this frame, Right. Um, and that's exciting to me. There's a way in which it's been perpetuated so much over such a long period of time mm. that it feels like an affect and it feels like something that's less fresh. Well, we, we're now entered into a realm of um, cut stunt cinema. You've got to be very mm -hmm. careful how you say that. Um, long Day's <laughs> Long Day's Journey into Night, the yeah. begun film. Oh, yeah. um, and then, of course, Mother. <laughs> You know, the much heralded yeah. kind of one take. And then right. the Sam yeah. Mendes film, 1917, is oh. being heralded also as a, mm -hmm. you know, and it's that idea of the, the trompe l'oeil kind of, yeah. you know, the, the, this kind of incredible coup of... of, of, of yeah, exactly, you know. Um, whereas, again, and I, and I keep repeating, to, you know, retreating to this motif of where the form really kind of matches the content yeah. with something like Pedro Costa's uh, Vitalina Varela, right. which yeah. is... Right. 
you know, far from a cut heavy film, you know, there's, yeah. there's plenty of, you know, watching people suffer yeah. and, and contemplate things, but the, the, the attention to detail of, of what's in the frame. Yes. Um, and yes. the, the emotional landscape of the film and the, the yeah. psychological landscape of the film entirely justifies yeah. the contemplative nature mm. yes. and the decision informing, you know, the no cut yeah. model. You yeah. know, let, you know. Let's let let's let all of us sit together, commune in this space, and and feel, mm-hmm. rather than, oh, when's it going to cut? Right. I agree entirely. You know, I think that that's an important distinction to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And his his films also um, just being, yeah, an interesting like bridging of of, of a couple of different worlds um, with with um, very highly stylized and and. Sternbergian attention to mm-hmm. to lighting, you know, um, but but still drawing out the, these moments in in a way. So um, yeah, um, that's. But there again, I, I now I should really talk about Pedro Costa's cinematographer Leonardo Simois. You know, of course, I'm sure they're both um, setting up some shots or, or working together. Um, that's another, and that's also an example of like a, another like team that's just have been fascinated to watch it evolve over decades, uh, much less this particular decade with like Horse Money and, and Vitaletta Varela, which I'm including because it premiered in 2019 um, at Locarno. Um, but we are running to the end of this particular episode. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's pretty, probably was pretty plain to most of you listening that we're going to have to do another one of these. And, you know, we're not trying to give uh, you know, short shrift to anyone at all. Um, but, just so we can just um, cover just at least one more um, um, craft um, field of filmmaking, um, I think costume design is is, an, is another thing that um, I, I'll call them all un- underappreciated. Um, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to Ruth E. Carter, um, who is a uh, you know been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, got her start working with Spike Lee. Yeah. Um, made the kind of incredible, vibrant costumes. Um, for Do the Right Thing, which really kind of amplified the idea that it was the hottest day of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, the period stuff, the Zoot Suits with Malcolm X. Yeah. And then just became a real stalwart of black cinema, Love yeah. and Basketball, mm-hmm. you know. And it, this incredible list of credits. And yeah. um, she always gives gives the films this layer, added layer of, of color and, and vibrancy. Yeah. Um, and, and really kind of made a bit of a breakthrough um, it, mm. to, to another level yeah. um, in, in this decade um, with... Working again with Spike on, on Chirac, I thought was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. The film is is a lot to digest, yeah. but one thing it doesn't lack for is um, uh, uh, that visual dimension, mm-hmm. and the costumes are so crucial to that. Yeah. But but really, the, the big thing is, is Black Panther, of course, um, in which she has this dream dream gig of mining so many different seams of Black history, culture, mm-hmm. theology, religion, yeah. um, technology into mm-hmm. these extraordinarily expressive. Um, costumes and she was and she won the Oscar for Black Panther which was um, totally deserved and, and a really yeah. a, a huge breakthrough and I think has taken her to another level level of visibility and yeah. I think you can see her influence um, re- pretty large in a new generation of, of black filmmakers coming mm. up uh, and how costume um, is not just there to be looked at but how it can um, underscore theme and subject and that she's been doing that since do the right thing mm-hmm. yeah um, and, and those early spike films so just super happy for for ruth carter and uh, again just can't, can't looking forward to, to the, the scale and size of projects that, that that come up yeah for her yeah can you imagine the lookbook or sketchbook for black panther that <laughs> she was working amazing from? Yeah. I, I would... <laughs> even you could watch that film with the sound off yeah yeah, yeah of you course. know and just yeah. taking every i've done that in flights yeah yeah looking yeah over yeah. your shoulders like what else am i i'm gonna look at that right <laughs> just the the, the isaac yeah. de Bancole character just yeah. just the way he's dressed you're just yeah. like, that's, that's the whole film there like, <laughs> yeah um, just just uh, amazing work yeah amazing work yeah. i wanted to make sure that that we shouted her out no i i yeah i i'm i'm on record on both audio video and in text about <laughs> my, my enjoyment of that film. And this is also just an opportunity to mention a production designer, which again, we might as well do a whole other episode for that. Um, but Hannah Beachler, um, who worked on moonlight, um, and then, um, but worked on black Panther as well. I, I don't know why I love it so much, but I just love the little, the, the, the lab 
that that <laughs> right you know yeah um in combination with uh i forget i don't know who who did the little score but there's a snippet of like a little like like i don't know synths kind of thing that the, is just running in the background like a like a percolating kind of like was it ludwig Jorensen, the the swede oh yeah you're right right who, they worked yeah that's also right so yeah. did the score for uh ryan coogler's first film um fruitvale station mm-hmm. right which is this really nice kind of ambient yeah. droney type thing yeah, and yeah. that's another interesting partner. You know, so many interesting partnerships. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Barry Jenkins and, and James Laxton, you yeah. know, director, cinematographer, mm-hmm. and Nicholas Brittell doing the music. Yes. Who also did, did the team tune for Succession. You know, that, that's yes. another thing just mm-hmm. that, that's always exciting to, to look at these yeah. partnerships that come up together. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, Hannah Beach though on, on Black Panther, amazing yeah. work. Yeah, for sure. Um, Eric? Anything you want to share? No, I, I mean, I guess um, we, we. I think beforehand we were talking about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's costume designer. Oh, whose name is Mark Bridges. Mark Bridges. Yeah, okay, yeah. For Phantom Thread. For Phantom yeah. Thread. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'll I'll put a a, a word out for Mary Zofries, who works with the Coen Brothers. <sighs> Did the costumes for Ballad of Buster Scruggs and uh, Inside Lewin Davis, um, Hail Caesar. Yes. That work. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. Which is just really interestingly perched, like, I mean, in the Coen Brothers fashion on, like, the edge of, of like, this really movie moviness. Movie moviness, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, something that can be lived in enough for the film, but then also, like, yeah, it's sort of symbolic of something beyond itself. Yeah. Yeah. Height, heightened in, in some way. And maybe a quick shout out for the um, little known guitar noodler, Johnny Greenwood. Oh yeah. Um, oh. Who, you know, I listened to the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Phantom Thread score the other night, yeah. and just when we talk about authorship, yes, um, this is the first thing you hear in the film is is that the swelling of that score, and yeah. mm-hmm. it's so it's so crucial yeah. to to the fa- no pun intended, sorry, the fabric of the film, right? Um, right. It, you know that it, it's th- thematically it's it's somehow both. Deeply instructive, yet also very subtle. I don't mm-hmm. know how it does it. It, mm-hmm. it, it shapes the film. The Johnny Greenwood score shapes the film as much as mm-hmm. anything else in the film, I think. Yeah. And um, the, the contribution of, of him to, to, to many other scores over the years. Yeah. Uh, Mika Levy as well. Yeah, I want to skin. I mean, this is just yeah. turning into a bit of a roll call of people <laughs> yes, that I like. Right. Yeah. The credits are Which, running. Yeah. We're like, Elsa. Maybe we should, that's what we should title the book. <laughs> <laughs> people, what we like. What we but like. yeah, I mean, uh, and yeah. her, her work has been very influential. She yeah. scored, I think, Monos. Yes. And I think the new Jonathan Glazer short as well. Uh, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. one of those styles, this um, slight, very, very kind of formalist. Um, dissonant mm-hmm. upsetting noise yeah that i think could end up being influential in slightly pernicious ways if people yeah. don't learn the right things from it yeah right. Right. I, I, I don't I, look forward to like mika levi mika levi cast offs <laughs> you, you know and like yeah. bad impressions of yeah that. yeah um but but for the for, for now it's very it's been very influential yeah and I, another one where i i i, I don't know maybe i got this wrong but it another one where it's interesting to kind of draw a line through through the past as well because i feel like i don't know what her her particular you know influences are but i feel like that's an example of like 90s kind of um you know electronic music um i don't know even apex twin or something you know somehow percolating down um and you know turning to something entirely else when it's reimagined in in a filmic realm um i'm not saying that she owes that at all but just as, as an observation um and that reminds me of one other um, person of, oh well just because we just had some great writing on for Atlantics yeah. um, Fatima Al-Kadiri Al-Kadiri yeah and, and they're just the fusion of different styles as, as well you know electronic and more traditional is, in, is incredible anyway I really encourage reading that that interview um, well, well I mean if we're, and, and the, the, the good time score yeah is incredible too yes oh right that's there's another yeah the kind of um on tricks point never almost assaultive and feeling. with heaven knows, heaven what. knows what and yeah. and uh, yeah. uncut gems as well yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah it's yeah kind of makes you s- s- sit up and and pay attention kind of. that's just terrifying yeah it's, it's terrifying it's, noise but it's yeah. also like the it speaks a lot to i mean we keep using words like collaborative and we mean it every time but that's uh filmmakers allowing a collaborator on that level to do something other than just support or signal what people are right. supposed to be feeling. Yeah. It allows for a really other, it's this other element of very, very strong 
um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, um, it's allowing for another voice in the room, sometimes literally, but an actual yeah. voice in the room. Yeah. Creatively. Well, I think that's a great, great moment to, to wrap up. Um, obviously we'll be talking more about this. I think we just absolutely have to do another episode, um, on, on this. Um, I encourage you to tweet away if you have, um, your own personal favorites or suggestions of people even you might think we want to talk about. Um, Stephen's alien hive. Stephen's alien hive. Take shape, form, um, <laughs> assemble. Um, but uh, other than that, um, tune in next time for the next Decade Project podcast. And for now, thank you, Ash, and thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Ash. You've been listening to the Film Comet podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.